0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers are preparing to face the Dallas Cowboys and it looks like they'll be without DeVonte Adams. Should they trade for a wide receiver and if so, who? Then let's savor some wins over the Cowboys from years gone by. Blue 58. Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast to the powersweep.com. I'm your host John Meerdink happy to be with you here for another episode. I was doing something recently that I'd like to do periodically, but not super regularly. I'm not that vain. I was reading through some reviews of Blue58 on the uh, iTunes Apple podcast app, uh, just checking in with what people are saying. I do like to keep an eye on that so I can tailor the show based on feedback, based on, based on thoughts people are having. And there was one nice positive review that included a line that got me thinking. I won't read you the whole review, but basically the, the very kind reviewer, uh, said that, in essence, I was, as a podcast host, mostly unbiased. For a second, I was like, mostly unbiased? I think I'm, I'm pretty well completely unbiased. First of all, that's a really vain and stupid thing to think. So, no, I'm not completely unbiased. So, that was wrong of me to think of that. But second, thinking about that, it's important to think through what those biases could be, recognizing that we all have them. There is no completely neutral person on any subject. You, you've got to be as unbiased as possible if you want to be good at what you do if you're doing stuff in the media. But I think eliminating all bias is all but impos- impossible. So you've got to know where those biases are. So it got me thinking, what are the biases that I have? And I'm sure there are many, big and small. There are blind spots that I have. There are things that I'm not good on. That That's true for everybody. For me, the first two that came to mind as I thought through this process or the, this, this question, and as it uh, pertained to our topic this week, I think there are two. Two that I would like to talk about. There may be more, but there, there are two that apply to the things that we're going to talk about today. First, believing that there is a plan as far as the Packers concerned, and that the plan is good. So that Brian Gutekunst, Russ Ball, Matt LaFleur, everybody who's making decisions for the Packers, I think an inherent bias I have is that they have a plan. They're in charge. They know what they're doing. And they, they have a good plan for getting the Packers to wherever the Packers are supposed to be, the Super Bowl, the playoffs, whatever you think the end goal is. Um, that That is the plan that they have, and, it, and it's probably a good plan because they've sat down and thought about it. That's probably projecting... Uh, what I would like to believe about them, what I would believe about myself if I thought I was in those positions, and, you know, just a general trust, uh, for people in, in authority figures of, of, uh, people in authority, people in positions of authority in organizations that I like. You'd like to believe those people have a plan. That's probably a bias that I have. Secondly, I think I probably have a bias toward overrating players on the Packers roster. And I think, there are two ways that you can go with this. If you spend a lot of time looking at and thinking about and talking about a team, you can either get high on certain players or think players are worse than they, they actually are. And you kind of have to check this bias on a case by case basis. But generally speaking, I think I'm probably a bigger believer in the players that are on the Packers roster than that. They could find a a suitable replacement on, on the street someplace. That's probably partly from the belief that if there was a a suitable replacement for for some of these players on the street, they'd already be on an NFL team. If there was somebody better than, say, our sixth cornerback, whoever that happens to be on a weekly basis, the Packers or someone else probably would have signed him already. I tend to think the Packers probably have the best guy they can get for a low-end roster player at most of their spots. However, it's possible that I could be wrong about that. And that there could be opportunities to improve the team that the Packers haven't taken the steps to address. There is a flip side to this bias that I think you see a lot on the internet. Uh, It's fans or people who talk about the team or cover the team, whatever, being more down on the Packers roster than they should always eyeballing players on other people's roster and and assuming that they would be better than what the Packers have now. That was something actually circling back to the coaching search late last year and and early in 2019 uh, that I I feel like we, we talked about a lot, cautioning against the idea that whoever the Packers got was going to be an improvement over Mike McCarthy. That's not necessarily the case. The other options out there are not necessarily better than what you have now. Why talk about all this? Well, As you might have guessed from the intro, we're talking about wide receivers, at least for a little bit here. The Packers have a short-term need at wide receiver, and they may have a long-term need at wide receiver, regardless of what happens with Devontae Adams. For sure, they've got a short-term need because it sounds like Devontae Adams isn't going to be able to go this Sunday. I would assume that would be the case, kind of assumed it when I heard that Turf Toe was the the situation for him. It's probably going to be a couple weeks before you really start having the can-he-or-can't-he-play Conversation, But even if he does play now, next week, the week after that, he's probably going to be limited. I think it's going to be a while, probably until after the bye week before we're, we're full on 100% on board with where Devontae Adams is health-wise. That's just the nature of this kind of injury because, as with any foot injury, you use your feet a lot. As a professional athlete and just a person going through your day-to-day life, you need them. It's hard to get them completely healthy without just getting off your feet entirely, and that messes up so many other things. So the Packers need a wide receiver. And even if Devontae Adams comes back this Sunday and is 100%, I think you could make the case that the Packers do have a need at receiver. As nice as Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Geronimo Allison all the young receivers that made plays in the preseason have been in short spurts, it doesn't look like the Packers have completely solved their wide receiver position. And that could be a problem going through the rest of the season. So the question is, what should the Packers do to address this, assuming they also agree that there's a problem there? They could trade for a receiver, or they could sign a free agent receiver. Free agency is probably not a real good option at this point. By... October, where we are now, anybody who's probably a, a super capable NFL player has more like more than likely than not been signed. That's just kind of how things go. You have the big free agency push in the spring. Guys get banged up in OTAs and mini camps and training camp, and or have season ending injuries or whatever. You get kind of a second and third wave of free agency. Now it's truly the bottom of the barrel. So free agency is probably not going to be a solution for the Packers. That leaves trades. Should the Packers trade? for a wide receiver. I'm probably still going to say no at this point, but if they were to trade for a receiver, I wrote about four options for AcmePackingCompany.com. Still do a little bit of writing over there on a semi-weekly basis. Today, we were talking about four potential trade targets for the Packers. Let's work through these pretty quickly. Uh, The first name On the list is the one that is the biggest, the most exciting, the one that seems to be the topic on everybody's mind, A.J. Green. Uh, The seven-time Pro Bowl receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been injured so far this year, had a bad ankle injury in the preseason, but he's been super productive when healthy throughout his career to date. Uh, He's in a contract year, and it seems like the, the Bengals could at least be entertaining the idea of moving on. If the Packers were looking to make a move at receiver just in a vacuum, this would be it. But when you start weighing the other, the other considerations there, age, cost, injury history, that he's a free agent after the season, it starts knocking that trade down pretty quickly. And that's kind of going to be the case with most, most of the options on this list. It would be exciting, as I wrote in the article, to pair Aaron Rodgers with A.J. Green, because he would instantly be the most decorated receiver that Aaron Rodgers has ever played with. Maybe not the best, but the most decorated. He's a great player when healthy, but how healthy he is and what you're going to get with him long term, I mean, beyond this year, is a big question. The Packers probably passed there. Next up, you've got Stefan Diggs, who is going through a very frustrating season in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, not great. Not having a real good year, and it's really dragging the Vikings as a whole down. It's ruining their offense. It's really ruining the stat lines for both Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, both of whom are very, very good receivers. Diggs for some reason, has been floated as a trade target for the Packers, even though it seems super unlikely that the Vikings would be even willing to entertain that idea. Why would they ship one of their best players to a franchise rival unless the Packers were willing to pay dearly? Yep, significant concern there. But you can see why the interest would be there. He's a productive player. He's not 26 years old yet. His contract is significant, but not like exorbitantly Significant, and he's been productive even when the quarterbacks haven't been great in Minnesota, which has been true for like a decade now since Brett Favre had his great 2009 season there. I don't think this is going to be a real, realistic opportunity for the Packers here. It is interesting to talk about because he would be an improvement. Next up, Emmanuel Sanders. A lot of people have floated this one as well, mostly because the Denver Broncos. Uh, are pretty awful. A lot like the the Cincinnati Bengals, and he is probably their best pass catcher at at this um, at this particular juncture. Uh, he, Cortland Sutton probably is going to to jump past him here relatively soon if he haven't, hasn't already. But Sanders can still get it done, and it's amazing that he can, because he tore his Achilles or significantly injured his Achilles less than a year ago. He is getting open at an astounding rate. Uh, even with Joe Flacco throwing the throwing him the ball, he's been pretty productive. But he too is in a contract year, so you have to weigh what you're getting in a 33-year-old receiver, almost 33-year-old receiver, uh, for essentially a one-year rental. Is that worth a fifth-round pick? Uh, you, you can quibble about that. I'm not sure. I, I think you'd do it for a sixth or a seventh for sure. With the Broncos, not really sure what what's in that for them at that point. If they're only getting a sixth or a seventh, you see why this is an issue. Finally, and this one was, was completely off the radar to me, but but the editor at APC Tex Western suggested this one, Robbie Anderson of the Jets. He was really good, even in a bad Jets, for a bad Jets team in, in 2017, and was pretty solid again in 2018, uh, but had some injury issues. But he's all but fallen off a cliff this year. He's only had 10 catches through four games, and... Uh, it, it hasn't been great, but he's got pretty good size at 6'3", pretty good speed in the 4'3 range, and he's been productive. Probably, as I, I wrote about him in the article, probably you should consider him the, uh, the realized version of Trevor Davis, what Davis was supposed to be, taking the top off the defense, getting downfield, doing stuff like that. That's Robbie Anderson, and if there's a guy on this list that seems both realistic from a money standpoint, an availability standpoint, and a compensation standpoint, It would probably be him. A sixth-round pick might do it for Robbie Anderson, maybe a fifth. Um, You never know. And with that, I I want to talk about trades in general for just a second. I've gone back and forth on trying to project compensation for trades over the past few weeks. I've been thinking about this because the Packers have been mentioned in connection to trades fairly frequently this year. Because Brian Gutekunst has shown a willingness to do that. I'm not sure the old projections really work for trades that we've used on this podcast and on the Power Sweep, because I think the trade market in the NFL has shifted. More teams are more willing to give up on guys to trade them in the first place, and more teams seem to be willing to give up more in the way of picks. So you can either get guys cheaper than you thought, or you end up having guys who are available that you didn't think would be available that still cost you an arm and a leg to get. All of the guys on this list fall somewhere on that spectrum. They're either going to be way cheaper than you think or way more expensive, but still worth it. That gets tricky when it comes to projecting trades. So when I'm throwing out, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, that's a guess more than anything. Because I've noticed that these trades that have been happening in the NFL have kind of fallen, I have kind of always had two things be true about them they are more expensive than fans always think they are and they're still less expensive than the stuff you hear about from from nfl teams so it comes out that the the team wants to trade a certain player fans immediately say well probably a conditional seventh if I'm being honest, that's what I would give up. If I'm the Packers trading for, I don't know, Julio Jones, let's just throw a name out there. I would give up, a, you know, maybe a conditional seventh. If they gave us like 50 bucks, we'd probably take him. He seems like kind of a hassle. I don't know if he's the kind of guy we want to have around our team. Obviously, none of that is true, using hyperbole for effect here. Um, but the the flip side of that is the, the team will always come out and say, you know, we want eight first round picks for Julio Jones they're not going to get that either. It's going to be somewhere in between. More than what fans think, less than what teams initially say. All of that makes it a a problem to predict what these trades are actually going to be. In summary, I don't think the Packers are going to trade for a receiver. I think there are some decent options out there if they'd like to do that. We'll wait and see how healthy Devontae Adams uh, turns out to be. Let's change gears completely and take a brief stroll down memory lane. The Packers play the Dallas Cowboys this week, and they have had some great games together over the years. You've got the Ice Bowl, you've got all of their great matchups in the regular season and playoffs uh, in the 90s, and more recently some good playoff stuff in there too. I thought we would talk about just some great wins that the Packers have had over the Cowboys. Wet your appetite a little bit for Sunday, hoping that the Packers will come up with another great win over the Cowboys. Starting, and we'll go, you know, oldest, to most recent win over the Cowboys here. Starting in 1966, the 1966 NFL championship game. We've talked about this game a lot before. There was a big, big game in this one from Bart Starr, probably his best single passing game ever. If it's not his very best game, it's right up there in the top th- two or three. But this game also had to, to come down to a clutch defensive stand to preserve what turned out to be a 34-27 win. I'll read you a section here from Magnificent Seven, the championship games that built the Lombardi dynasty. This is a a great book for just getting some like-you-were-there sort of insights into into these games. Uh, They look at uh, both the Super Bowls and a a few other championship games, though maybe not all of the ones that you might expect. Uh, This one, again, the 1966 NFL championship game, we picked this up. Right before the final play. The Cowboys have come down the field, it's fourth and two or fourth and goal from the two yard line. Only a fourth down remained, quoting now from the book. And the Cowboys were still two yards away from sudden death. Meredith called an option play for himself, Don Meredith, that is. If the defense came out he came up, he would throw. If it dropped back, he would run. Bob Hayes was sent in as a tight end, a position he seldom played. The idea was to isolate him on a cornerback after he faked a block on Dave Robinson. If Dallas could make the Packers think a sweep was coming, the cornerback would have to force the play by moving up to the line. Then Meredith would lob a short pass over his head, and if all went well, into Hayes' arms. Robinson went right for Meredith with the snap of the ball. Hayes merely brushed him and Meredith hardly could raise his arms before the Packers linebacker slammed into him. In desperation and off balance, Meredith threw a prayer into the end zone. Tom Brown, the Packers' strong side safety, grabbed the football like a superhero catching a baby to preserve Green Bay's 34-27 victory. It was a catch that shocked 75,000. In the winner's locker room, Robinson happily explained his game-saving play. I got a good grip on Meredith's left arm and part of his right when he got rid of the ball. I got sick to my stomach when he got the pass off. Meredith and I were falling when he got the ball off, sort of sidearm, and I could not see what was happening. The first thing I heard was the crowd. I jumped up and saw Brown getting up with the ball lombardi and his teammates celebrated robinson's heroics privately the coach the perfectionist singled out the linebacker for an incorrect procedure on the play he said robinson first should have forced through the guard hole to make meredith hold back on his rollout phase thus breaking up the flow of the play vince knew what i did was successful robinson said later but he would never say that he graded everyone's performance with pluses or minuses he gave me a minus two on the play So you come up with a game-winning play, in essence, and Vince Lombardi says, nope, sorry, minus two, didn't do what you were supposed to. That's Vince Lombardi in a nutshell. Let's jump ahead, almost exactly 30 years, to November 23rd, 1997, when the Packers finally got the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau Field. Here's how Fox introduced that game. Little bit of an extended sound clip here, but I think it's worth it good afternoon coach holmgren your mission should you choose to accept is to defeat dallas for the first time in nine games the cowboy's weapons include sharpshooter troy aikman emmett smith and the playmaker michael Irvin. your usual team will be dispatched brett Favre will be your point man and the minister of defense reggie white will back him up as always should you or any member of your packer force fail the cheeseheads will disavow all knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct. 90s production values at their absolute very best there. Missed the 90s NFL. So 1993 through 1996, the Packers played at Dallas seven times in a row and lost all seven. That includes regular season and postseason. The schedule makers... We were not kind to the Packers, and of course, there were some things that were out of their control or within their control um, heading into the playoffs and ending up in Dallas there a couple of years in a row. But in 1997, the Packers finally got the Dallas Cowboys in Lambeau Field, and boy, did they make them pay. Tied at halftime, the Packers scored 35 points in the second half. Uh, to run away with a 45 to 17 victory. Brett Favre was very good on the day, 22 of 35 for 203 yards and four touchdowns, just the one interception. Dorsey Levens had 190 yards and a touchdown on 33 carries. Overall, a very, very good day for the Green Bay Packers. Let's advance again in history to what I'm calling the Wade Phillips killer game. Week 9, 2010. The Packers are headed for their bye week. They're trying to get to the bye at 6-3. and three, And spoiler alert, they are going to get to the bye week at 6-3. and three. Because the Packers, by this point in the 2010 season, are rolling. Things get a little bit hairy down the stretch, as we all know. But they're hot right now. And the Dallas Cowboys are about to be the victim of that hot streak. Tied 0-0 after the first quarter. The Packers exploded with four touchdowns in the second, heading into halftime up 28-7. There was an especially awkward moment just prior to the two-minute warning. The Packers had scored a touchdown, an eight-yard pass to Greg Jennings with two minutes and 13 seconds left. On the ensuing kickoff, Dallas fumbles. Nick Collins recovers and takes it in 26 yards for a touchdown. This was very obviously not a fumble, but Uh uh-oh, Dallas had already challenged a play, failed, and called two timeouts, meaning they were out of timeouts. So when this play occurred just before the two-minute warning, they were unable to challenge. And since it was outside the two-minute warning, it was not reviewed by the booth. And this was in the era when all scoring plays were not yet reviewed, so the Packers got away with a little bit of a cheapie. It didn't matter. They had plenty of points to spare. It was such an embarrassing game that Wade Phillips, the Dallas coach, was fired the very next day. It's surprising that he even made it to Monday. Let's jump ahead to 2013. There's not a lot to say about this game because it was just, well, it was incredible. The Packers head to Dallas without Aaron Rodgers and head into halftime trailing 26-3. to But they come out firing in the second half. Matt Flynn and Eddie Lacey lead an incredible comeback, and the Packers come out on top 37-36. to 36. A highlight in the second half of an altogether disappointing year. Now we've got to the really good stuff. We're talking about playoff wins here, and we'll start in the 2014 playoffs. The Packers hosting the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau Field. July, or not July, January 11th, 2015, noon kickoff. That's good playoff football weather in Green Bay. The Packers were sharp today, and this was Devontae Adams' rookie year coming out party. He had a bit of a rough 2015, but today he was Outstanding. Seven catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. That goes along with eight catches for 116 yards from Randall Cobb. Overall, a great effort from Aaron Rodgers as well, who completed 24 of 35 passes for 316 yards and three touchdowns. The big play that everybody talks about in this one is, did Des Bryant catch it or not? And I would just like to remind everybody that under the rules of the time that was correctly called, Des did not catch the ball. And it wouldn't have mattered anyway, because Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were rolling on offense. And even if Des Bryant does score a touchdown there, they'll go right down and score it anyway. The real sad thing about this game is that after the Packers won this divisional round game, the rest of the NFL season was canceled. We never got to see what would happen if the Packers went to the NFC Championship game and then the Super Bowl. The season just ended right there. We'll never know what could have been. Real shame because I thought this Packers team had a real shot at winning the Super Bowl, but that's just the way things go sometimes. Sometimes the season randomly gets canceled and there are all, all the records from the 2014 season are destroyed. There is no reason to look it up and see what actually happened because that is what happened. Just take my word for it. Two years later, the Packers and Cowboys met again in the divisional round in the playoffs. This time, the Dallas Cowboys get to play host. What an exciting game. The Packers, coming off their run-the-table run, go into Dallas a little bit under man. Jordy Nelson is out with broken ribs, sustained in the wildcard round game against the Giants. But Aaron Rodgers is hot anyway. Uh, 355 yards passing on 43 attempts, manages to combat Dak Prescott, who rolls up 302 yards on 38 passing attempts. The play of the game for, for me in this one, and it often gets forgotten, uh, but on the Packers' final drive, the one that ended with the the big throw, Um, to to Jared Cook, and then the subsequent game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby. Uh, The second, third play of the drive, excuse me, the Packers have a first and 10 on their own 42-yard line. Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass and gets absolutely blindsided by Dallas Cowboys safety Jeff Heath. Rodgers did not see him coming at all, and it's an absolute miracle that he held on to the ball. He did, gets up and calmly calls timeout. 18 seconds left, throws an incomplete pass to Jared Cook, comes back to Jared Cook on the very next play, third and 20, 36-yard completion. You know the story from there. The Packers win. Finally, finally, we will round out this list with the next time the Packers and Cowboys played. Early in the 2017 season, the Packers met the Cowboys again on the road in Dallas, and again, it was left to Aaron Rodgers to take care of business late. The thing I remember most about this game is how much this felt like an absolutely, completely foregone conclusion. The Packers take over late. There's just no worry at all. First and 10, their own 25-yard line, a minute 13 left. It's over. It's over. Aaron Rodgers is going to take the Packers down. They're going to score a touchdown. The game is going to end. And that's exactly what he did. It took nine plays, A minute and two seconds, 75 yards, and it ends with a touchdown to Devontae Adams. The funny thing about this this drive, this game, is one name that comes up. One extremely forgettable name from the 2017 season. Catching the second pass of this drive, this game-winning drive, is one Martellus Bennett. He, of the short-lived stint in Green Bay, caught a 14-yard pass on the second play of this game-winning drive. It would be the last pass that he would ever catch from Aaron Rodgers because the very next week, on a play intended for Martellus Bennett, Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, and it was lost essentially for the rest of the year, minus that one meaningless game in Carolina. That was the game, the game after this, that... Ushered in a couple years of pretty dark times in Green Bay 2017 was pretty bad 2018 was pretty bad, but it all the last memory of the pre second collarbone Aaron Rodgers Packers was this win over the Cowboys. And what a win it was. So I've got for you in this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back Friday with our preview episode. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to listen in and download one of our episodes. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and a review. It helps more people find the show. There are a bunch of other ways you can support the show as well. Click the support page at ThePowerSweep.com to find out what those are. One of the best ways you can, though, is just by leaving us some feedback, uh, either as a Facebook comment, a Twitter message, whatever. Email us as well. Uh, that helps us continue to answer your questions, uh, answer the things that you care about, and further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Mierdink. We will see you Friday on Blue58.